Welcome to Pod Central by Wisely Wise, an Impact of Education and Knowledge podcast series. Here we provide impact of education and knowledge in day-to-day life. In the last podcast, Dr. Talaiwar shared more on her experience with higher education. Let's continue to hear her inspiring conversation with us. You know, and then uh, as part of my journey, I also... I learned everything, to be honest with you, with instructional technology from experts from the International Society for Technology and Education, ISTE. ISTE uh, has been a strong component in my life. So I go to the conference every year. There was only one year I did not go to the conference when it was in Florida. Uh, but I go there and I learn and I get inspired by all these educators who come to present. And I also presented and did workshops uh, and I have been learning from them. So since I've been a critical uh, part of the professional learning community, um, I was requested to develop um, uh, not only develop, I was requested to develop a workshop with a group of other experts. I didn't do it alone and uh, on computational thinking. So I came to Malaysia with the ST team and I did two sets of workshops uh, on computational thinking. So we did several other things like integrating technology with ST standards you know, ISTE has its own standards. Um, and uh, and if, if any school system is carefully providing professional development for teachers about integrating those standards across the curriculum, you know, students will be great problem solvers, communicators, collaborators. So like if you think about in Virginia, we think about critical thinking, collaboration, communication, you know, so we have five C's we focus on in Virginia. And you have all those fives integrated already in ISTE standards. So we did ISTE standards and then computational thinking with them. And then when I finished and so ISTE also asked me to be one of the coaches in the mobile learning course. So I did that with them. And then um, they asked me to create a computational thinking course um, in simple English. And it was translated into Spanish by one of the universities, um, one of in Latin America, in Colombia. And then that course in Spanish was taught by other instructors who can speak Spanish. So I have, I got uh, several forces behind me that have encouraged me and inspired me. Uh, so not just the classroom, but teachers and uh, ISTE and the experts in ISTE. And in the same way, artificial intelligence came my way. So when Dr. Nancy Black um, and Dr. Ramos um, in ISTE, they got a grant to the to do the artificial intelligence explorations with the t- teachers so k12 teachers in the united states are 
American schools across the globe um, if they wanted to learn. So they were offering this free course. So I was one of the coaches for the last, is it the fourth year now? Fourth year, yes. And so I was able to work with a number of teachers. And not only in my team, I also had teachers from Tunisia, India, Hong Kong, China, Korea, uh, and then across the across the United States. So I had this wonderful idea of working with, and I had the wonderful opportunity, I should say, working with the teachers across the globe on how they integrate artificial intelligence in their classroom. As teachers, you've also been motivated by uh, even the students that you have taught and you're part of the community of you're actually building society as well. So it's a real inspiration to hear your story. And of course, I think you're a very good example of how lifelong learning should be. Uh, as mm. we, see, we, we as an organization also emphasize on um, lifelong learning, right? So we are, we are starting yeah. from K-12 and we're talking about going to colleges and corporates and beyond. And um, to see you, it's, it's a real, you're a real role model to see even now, after being, you know, you've also retired, but you continue to learn and continue to contribute in such a big way. It's amazing inspiration. So, so man, a few things that I wanted to uh, quickly bring here, and I, I wanted to understand your um, insights into this. So you've typically uh, started your journey in India and you've had part of your education in India and then you moved on and now you're part of the United States and, you know, clearly impacting the education system there. So... Uh, if you could share some more insights of how these two worlds are different and even from today's context we're seeing um, you know a lot of things being said about the educational systems in different countries and specifically between these two countries so just from your experience again a few uh, thoughts and insights uh, we'd love to hear from you well i'll tell you i always tell um, the educators who ask me um, because normally they tell me Oh, these Indian students, when they come, Indians, when they come, they are so excelling in everything. And I tell them that's because the people who live in the United States, particularly the Indians like me, we were cream of the crop in India, right? We did very well in India, and that's why we succeeded. We had educational qualifications, and we came here. So... People here should not assume that everyone in India is educated. So I had to actually tell them about the number of people in India still cannot read, right? They have not gone to school or maybe they finished the school in the rural, whatever the school that was, sometimes eighth grade, sometimes fifth grade, and then they have not gone beyond. And so when people compare, you know, Indian education and American education, I tell them you are comparing apples and oranges, right? And so I tell them the math achievement, I have never seen a, a difference in math achievement in my time in India. I have not looked at the statistics now, but from the way that I have seen the results of the uh, what is it, the 12th grade examination, there are more girls 
passing, girls winning the first prize. So I know in India we don't. And I always give one example. My first uh, web project, web page project in 1994, when I created a website, it is about symmetry of threshold in India, which is, you know, in when you go to in India, we put column, you know, column is like with dots, yes. we just do yes. that. And it's symmetrical pattern, right? So I, I most of the columns are symmetric pattern. So I, I, if you, I think that symmetry of threshold in India, somebody has copied that site because my original site does not even exist anymore. But somebody copied the site and they put it. And with my name, you will see that. And I would write the reason why there is no. Uh, math achievement gap in India, the young girl, even as little as 16 months old or 18 months old, we sit mamas doing the column in the front and we watch that. So the number sense comes naturally to girls. That's my argument. I haven't done any research on it, but that was my argument, right? So when we have mathematics and we are encouraged to work very hard right like we don't do that anymore but i remember uh, some people will bring the children to the teacher and says teacher just leave the eyes alone do whatever you want i want my son to study which means you can have physical <laughs> physical punishment the parents would say you can do that but i want my child to study because for them for the parents in india if a child has to succeed in life they need to have education so most of the families would have that whereas here you cannot you know you you cannot really talk about like your child is not doing well then immediately somebody will say I don't mind saying someone will say, what about the other kids? Why are you talking about my kid? You know, there, are, there have been times like that. So there are a few parents um, are very defensive about the children. And one thing that shocked me when I came in 1981, uh, when I looked at the system, uh, they didn't want uh, us to put, like I, I had number one, number two, number three, number four, written in the blackboard, uh, here they wouldn't like us to compare like that. Because that is like, even though I may think it is motivating competition, motivating children to excel, but others may think we are putting down the children. So the way that we look at these things are very different. And so I had, a, I mean, I was not a teacher at that time, so gladly escaped from all those uh, discussions and debates, uh, but I was always conscious about that. Uh, that's number one. Two, parental involvement in India, uh, and I know I have been to China. In in China, I've seen parental involvement really strong uh, when the with the student work. Um, not only encouraging if they didn't know in India, and I don't know about China, whether they sent tuition, but in India, we used to send them for tuition. In our, If I can't do that as a parent, uh, here in the U.S., you don't have those opportunities. And uh, most of the time, 
I have seen some parents kind of assuming it is school's responsibility to do everything. If something is not right, you know, why are we not, why, why isn't the school doing that? So that was my hard things to take. But the good thing about American system, we try to educate everyone. Everyone gets educated, right? So why am I saying that? I know in some of the Indian classrooms, if the kids are not studying, um, most of the schools now, they don't beat them up, but then they say, um, do you understand Tamil? No. Do you understand do. Tamil? You do? do? Yes. Okay. Padika Muriyadu, Udavakarai. Right. Uh, he can't study. You know, no matter what I do, he can't study. He can't remember. He can't do this. She can't do that. So some of the, most of the times, students, when they get discouraging remarks like that, they give up. Right. Whereas here in the United States, the strong focus on how to help those children with learning disabilities, right? So there is a very strong focus on special education and all students are together, you know, learning. Uh, in some cases, there are students who are really excelling too well, you know, like they have gifted classes so that um, they don't have to be bored. Otherwise, the children will be bored, right? So they are given more challenges. But the children who have problems in learning, in American educational system, um, the system itself encourages them. There is special funding, special tools, adaptive learning tools. And so we work together to make sure every child can succeed. All children can learn, right? All children can learn provided we provide the right environment, not only at school, but also in the houses. And that's what I am still struggling with because no matter what the schools provide, we need the support system at home and in the community, and we need access to resources. Still, there are, I'll say that in India, I had better access when I went on the boathouse than some of the rural areas in Virginia. When I go there, there won't be any access. You know, for my phone is supposed to be 5G, right? So last week, my husband and I drove into uh, a rural area. We didn't have any internet service even though we are supposed to have 5g it was really rural remote area so why i'm saying that is that even though the united states educational system is striving hard to educate all students there are still areas that we need to work on similar to any other country like in india um, on at different levels so it may not be special education, but we need to provide in the United States better resources and access to internet broadband, I mean, access to broadband so that the students can continue to learn in order for them to have lifelong learning. If I would tell the parents, if you want your students to know about artificial intelligence, they may say, what are you talking about? They said, okay, 
you are having an iPhone. In the iPhone, you have artificial intelligence. Did you know that? So when you, if I say something to them, they need to have the broadband access when they go to the rural area. So we still have a lot to work on, but I strongly support whatever you do. I know you told me uh, inspiration for the students, but we also have to inspire the parents for them to understand the need for their children to study artificial intelligence. It is essential for the children to do that because like um, I think I should say we were all focusing on programming, right? In the uh, 80s, late 70s, 80s in the United States. I came in 81, um, 80, yeah, 81 December. So we were focusing on uh, programming. Uh, little children learned uh, um, at that time logo programming. Then we did basic programming. Then we moved from basic to Pascal in the high school. But then suddenly when this um, computer coordinators who are not necessarily computer programmers, they were math teachers, social studies teacher, but they were the first one to use computers in the classroom. So they became the computer coordinators. So this idea, even from ISTE at that time, it was NECC, moved away from programming to computer literacy, which in my opinion was a big mistake because the children became the users of computers rather than thinking with computers. Like if you have heard about Dr. Seymour Papard, uh, from MIT, he would say, think with computers, right? We moved away from that because when we said computer literacy, we just learned how to do word processing, PowerPoint. PowerPoint was a killer at that time. And in Apple, they had a slideshow and different program. So it became users. So uh, the programming and the part was becoming very essential. And so we used to say the children should become creators. They should create programs in the same way now. The artificial intelligence is kind of a foundation. The foundation is computer science. And so just as the way that we felt um, in the 90s and early 2000s about the need for the students to learn computer science, there's a need for all the students to learn at least about artificial intelligence so they understand where they are using it. Right, ma'am. So I had also read a recent report where it talked about uh, people in poverty, right? a child in poverty. It would take that child seven generations to even reach the median salary, right? So um, when we're talking about the gap, uh, we know that AI is a way forward. It is already impacting all of us. Uh, many of us are, uh, as you mentioned, iPhones, all of us have it. We're using it uh, in our daily lives. Um, so as the newer generation comes in, it's becoming more and more important to learn AI. And obviously, because there's going to be the skill shortage and we need to have uh, people who are qualified uh, to take up those future jobs. So again, in terms of this aspect, uh, you know, we were I read about if we bring this education early to children, right, they would be able to come out of this poverty in the first generation itself. So, you know, what are your thoughts in terms of why people should actually start considering 
um, you know, uh, getting AI uh, skills and, you know, having the children getting exposed to AI? And how do you think from your experience uh, that would really help them in terms of uh, matching those uh, future requirements and demands that are coming our way? So, like I said, you know, I would not have done um, uh, game design unless I was motivated by the kids, right? I had to do that because then the children understand. And in order for me to change a game, I need to learn programming, right? So it's in the same way. We don't want students just to talk to Alexa. Like, like my... Uh, <laughs> this is a few years ago, maybe. Now Roman is uh, eight. He just turned, uh, he's, he'll be eight on, uh, 20, on October 24th. Roman was about two and a half or three years old. Um, one day he called Alexa, timer, two minutes, and he went to a corner and sat because if he threw something unnecessarily, mama put him on timer, right? So one day he threw himself, he threw a toy or something at the brother. And then he put it, put himself on timer and went and sat, right? Our Priya, my, uh, at that time she was three, when mom said, I think we need to get cream cheese. Alexa. Add cream cheese on the shopping list, right? So these little kids, when they are using these tools, we don't want them to use it blindly. We need for them to understand how it's working. Then that thinking will make them, okay, there is a problem. I need to solve a problem. What do I have to do? So as they grow older, then you can talk to them. Like when we, when I run my uh, um, robot vacuum. I can help my little kids to understand there are sensors that are working. It is artificial intelligence that finds the map of this room and that's how it goes. So both the parents as well as teachers, when we help them to understand how artificial intelligence plays a role in our life right from the start, so I'm not waiting for artificial intelligence to, uh, for the children to learn until high school. I want them to learn from kindergarten. I know they may not know the word artificial yet, but we can, but they know Alexa, right? Even in India, they have Google Assistant, right? So there are tools that are there. They know about Facebook, they know Siri, so we can actually slowly introduce them and bring them to the level of understanding sensors, perception. And then we can say in order for them to learn, somebody has to put in all these data. Who will put in the data? Unless you learn what is machine learning. So in the middle school, we can introduce them to that. And parents can be told you use it every day, not only with your iPhone, when you go shopping, you have chatbots that are coming, right? So all of us as a community have to understand how artificial has begun to play a critical role in our lives, in everyday lives. And, and then they will understand the value of it. 
then we can help them to understand what are the different skills that they need in order to excel. All of us cannot be a machine learning specialist. All of us cannot be a data scientist. But all of us may have a flair for natural language processing. So depending on our abilities and depending on our interest, you know, and availability of courses around how we can improve ourselves um, to get into the field. But it's, uh, there are still, like, as far as the United States is concerned, we are still talking about ethics, artificial intelligence and ethics is a big issue. I tell them, what are you talking about? As soon as I land in India at Chennai airport, all my biometrics is done. I can't question them about privacy at that time, right? Because I need entry into India. Uh, why are we making a fuss about it here, right? But there are some issues that we still need to take care of. So I try to promote now with the teachers, um, to you know about the five big ideas with AI um, to see how best they can integrate that. And right now my approach is uh, my presentation in December will be about uh, how STEM computational thinking and the five big ideas go hand in hand together. So teachers don't have to think I'm going to do one more thing. So it's artificial, it's not one more thing. They all work together. So if you, everybody now has bought into the concept of the importance of STEM, at least in Virginia. In Virginia, we also have computer science standards. So I can easily talk about computational thinking. So if I say artificial intelligence, I it's not something new. I am, I am trying to um, introduce that artificial intelligence gives you a better opportunity to create innovative STEM projects. And that way, we may have more buy-in from the classrooms and from the schools. So that's the approach I'm taking now. Finally, as we conclude our podcast episodes with Dr. Manota Lever. I would like to express a very big thank you, ma'am, for sharing with us so much about your journey through the years. It's been truly inspiring for us, and I'm sure our listeners have found it equally inspiring. Thank you once again. To all our listeners, to hear more interesting and insightful podcasts, don't forget to follow and subscribe to our podcast channel on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Raker, Radio Public, Pocket Plus. Visit us at https colon slash slash wisely wise.com or write us at hello at wiselywise.com. You can also call or do WhatsApp on plus 65918870947.